Hello, everybody. Uh, today on Comedians Exposed, we have a very special guest. This person is, yes, very special. They host the Reserve Association. They're hosts at the Comedy Cove. You can see this person there regularly. Uh, check out their website, carlsucks.com, and their podcast, L W A F L M O Y T. Easy to remember. Easy to remember. Please welcome comedian Carl to Comedians Exposed. Welcome, Carl. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It took us a while to arrange this meeting, right? It did. It did, sir. But I'm glad that we finally have arranged it. OC. Yeah, busy. Carl and I was so excited. Carl, uh, well, first, before we even dive right in, I really have to get better. I keep trying to do this right at the beginning. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Well, uh, on Facebook, unfortunately, I'm Carl E. Haupt. Now, as a comedian, I want to just be Carl, but Facebook would not let me do that. So it's Carl, middle initial E, and last name H-A-U-P-T. Terrible. But go to Team Carl, the group Team Carl. That's easier to do. Team Carl. All right. Do you, and do you use any other social media like TikTok well, or Twitter? I'm uh, I'm out there on Instagram under jokes to Carl, like the French D-E, jokes D-E Carl. And that's my Twitter handle too. I also have another Twitter that's Carl with 11 underscores. But I'm old. I'm old. The place to catch me is Facebook. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. And Carl, again, Carl was I someone I got to work on a project recently. You and Steve Goldberg, they wrote a pilot. Amazing. I was so and then they are right now you're in production right now. Editing. Editing. That's right. That's right. So I would say by the end of November, we're going to have like a watch party for the pilot. I think we'll be ready. to. So how did this come to be, this project? Well, like way back in 2019, it was the new year and Steve Goldberg reached out. I would like to do some collaborations this year with comedians. And apparently I was like the only person who said, okay, (laughs) (laughs) a little comedy troupe. And we were going to try to get some uh, stuff going on YouTube, like uh, webisodes of like a cooking show with Jeannie Knoll. But that didn't work out. We were going to shoot. She quit on us. She just walked, you know. <laughs> so since it was her baby, this cooking show, we just said, let's let's start over. Mm-hmm. And it was Steve Goldberg who came up with the idea of having a comedy class. And in that class, you not just learn how to deal, uh, how to become a comedian, but you learn how to deal with like the tragedies in life and spinning them into humor, you know, like Mm -hmm. laughter is the medicine kind of theme. Mm -hmm. So it's a comedy class. And each episode, one of the comedy class members has a personal tragedy and they learn to deal with it and cope with it from the class and from the professor through laughter. Yeah. And it's called Life's Laugh Lessons, which so is a bit of a tongue twister, right? Yeah, you like you you like a lot of the letters and alliteration in your in your work. L L L. Yes. 
That's so amazing though. And I love that, especially too, because, you know, from doing the podcast myself, just how many comedians I've spoken with thus far use comedy as their coping mechanism, as a a way to reclaim narratives over tragedy. So I think that's really fantastic. Like that's like the premise of the pilot. And I was so excited to be part of it. It was super fun. You're a big part of it. You're, you're, you play Gladys. Oh, my husband, we're married and on the show. I'm so excited, you guys. <laughs> well, we're not the happiest couple, right? I, I don't think you're supposed to be, right? Isn't that like what happens after so many years of marriage, you know? Married, oh, right? shucks, you know. <laughs> uh, we, have, we only shot the pilot, but in the fourth episode, we do have a moment. So let's see if the thing gets made. Oh, that's so everybody, you guys, I can't wait to share this project with you guys. Um, Like I said, I was excited again just to be around it because I love being around people who are doing things, who are creating, uh, especially because for me, I feel like any type of creation I do, I feel really vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I don't know for you, is that something similar? Do those feelings arise? Like what, what? moves you to create and do things like make this pilot? Uh, I just think I'm tenacious, really, you know, it's not really has, doesn't have anything to do with, well, first of all, this was Goldberg's idea. And just when I heard the concept of, you know, laughter is the best medicine or whatever, I thought this is perfect. We should run with this. You know, I think that if you want to be successful as a comedian, TV is really a place where you need to be. I mean, you can struggle, struggle, struggle to be a comedian and get great bookings and everything like after 15 years, you know, but uh, TV, you know, this is the second pilot I've made. And uh, first of all, I got to give credit to Steve Goldberg. Now, he he came up with the idea and he contributed most of the jokes to the to the seven episodes that we wrote, you know, I was sort of more like executive producer. Like I was the writer. He's got a co-writing credit. He copyrighted it with me because he writes all the jokes. But I mean, I really pulled all that together to make the episodes and produce Mm -hmm. and get this pilot done. Yeah. Um, I'm just motivated by TV is a vehicle by which you could become a successful comedian. Oh, interesting. Okay. So then what got you into comedy? Like, Uh, Well, you know, I've always sort of been in, um, okay, going back to like 1991, 92, we had a cable access show, me and Mike Spiegelman, who I do the podcast with, Mm -hmm. that was comedy. You know, it was sort of like sketch comedy. It was called Fish Burgers. And back then there was no internet, you know? Mm -hmm. So we were like the only show in town. Mm -hmm. The thing would air. And then I would be at Montclair State College just going through my classes and people would go, hey, hey, you're you're weird. I saw you on TV. You're you're that weird guy. (laughs) That would last for like two days. And and then, you know, because we would do one show a month. And for like two days after people would recognize me. That was really a kick, you know. But then I didn't do stand up like ever. I always thought of jokes like if I was a comedian, I would say that, you know. So I was out in San Francisco with Mike's visiting Mike Spiegelman. Uh, And so, or maybe work brought me out there. And so I was hanging with him and he goes, Hey, look, I'm going to this Mike. Why don't I tell him you're a comedian from New York and you could get up there and do five minutes. And I said, I'm not a comedian from there. He goes, come on, it'll be fun. You can, you know, you could do. So 
I got excited about it and I wrote down a list of all those jokes that I always thought I should tell, you know. Yeah. I, I went, I, I had like a piece of paper I was reading off of. Uh, everybody laughed. And when they laughed, you know, you get that like, oh, they like me, you know, you get that elation like, oh, uh, this is, you know, the attention. Well, you had a great set, man. So I, I, that's when I got the bug. That was yeah. 2015, 20. So I left San Francisco and came here uh-huh. and I found open mics in New York and started. Writing. And you just started. So what about, cause you said you initially like had done sketch when you were younger and yeah. like in writing this pilot, how was standup uh, different? Well, uh, back when we were doing this sketch comedy show, I really had no intention to ever be a stand-up. I was just writing, you know. I've always been a writer, and I always wanted to write Hollywood movies, you know. Uh, there are rules to Hollywood movies, serious rules, and you, you know, it took me a lot of years to write screenplays that follow the rules and just the rules of drama, you know. So uh, it took me a lot of years. At this point, I've got five screenplays that I'm proud of that I think are, they fit all the rules and they would work, you know? And um, so I wasn't ever going to be a stand-up, you know? Meanwhile, I had my regular job. I had my children. I had, I was never going to be a stand-up. It just in 2015, I just bumped into it with Mike. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. I, I, it, it was a good fit for me because of all the co- comedic writing yeah. I had been doing. So so what do you think, though, again, because I feel like there's something doing comedic writing versus being on stage performing. Yes. You know, there's a, there's that whole other element. And again, you especially like those of you listening that have seen Carl, you know, of course, everyone, I think, knows you for your signature mic trick. Yeah, yeah. You know? it's like, it's like, yeah, exactly. And it's like, OK, but that, you know, things like that, those are the things that like kind of set people apart, you know, is when they have those you know, little idiosyncrasies about their act. That comes from Steve Martin. Um, I never buy things on the internet, you know, but Steve Martin had a master class, right? Now, this guy, I always loved, I think of his stand-up, like it's silly. It's silly Mm -hmm. and stupid. And I thought that really fit for me, you know? Yeah. I was a huge fan of his when I was a kid and he had his albums, you know? So I paid the $96 and I watched it. And he said, bring everything you have to the table. Anything like, you know how he plays the banjo and he's got the props with the arrow through his head and all that. Mm -hmm. Well, like it was Roger Daltrey of the who that would swing the mic and catch it. And it really looks stupid for rock and roll. And since I was being stupid and silly, I just thought I'd try it. And, you know, I play that little guitar. It looks like a ukulele because I play the regular guitar, you know? So Steve Martin's lessons taught me, if you can juggle, whatever you can do, are you a dancer? Just bring it to the stage, you know, so that you're more to look at than a guy standing there with the mic. Yeah. So that's where that comes from, yeah. That's so true, yeah, definitely. Um, But I feel like too, like that's something like, I know a huge element of fear, I think for people doing stand-up comedy is the fact that people are gonna look at you. You know, it's like, um, okay. So I used to be very nervous before I would go on stage, you Mm -hmm. know, 
going to like me? Is it going to work? You know, and even at an open mic where you're trying new jokes and you know, people aren't going to be laughing, you know, because it's not your proven stuff, your A material. I would be nervous. So then I had this gig at Tierney's Tavern, one of those um, in Montclair, you know, one of those Sunday gigs that they do there. And I just bombed. I, I got, I was scared. I went up there and I told like an off color joke that I usually tell in late into my, I usually tell this joke late into my set and it's always a big laugh. So I thought I'm so scared. I'm going to open with a proven thing that I know is, oh, that was a mistake. That's yeah. at the home. And so they are like, well, we don't like you. So we're not going to laugh no matter what. And I was doing the A stuff, you know, after that night, like it hurt me for weeks, you know, mm-hmm. ever since that night, I got toughened up. I was, a, tr- you know, like, I don't believe in what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's how, you know, that's just not the truth. But bombing that hard. I, I can't bomb worse than that. So I'm never scared anymore before I go out there, you know? Yeah. And it's funny. I find from hosting at Scotty's that if it's a full room full of strangers, they're laughing. They're ready to laugh. They came out to a comedy club. Yeah. You're on stage. There's the mic and the spotlight on you. They think they I'm seeing a professional comedian. So they're ready to laugh. So I'm never nervous anymore. And the more people in the room, the safer I feel because laughter is contagious. You know, if you're going out there with proven stuff, one guy's laughing, another guy's laughing. When it's a sparse crowd, sometimes they don't want to laugh. Yeah. No, it's so true. Like humans, like I always notice that, like, you know, remember like at the mall, you'd be by a kiosk and one person go and all of a sudden, oh, it's full. You know, that's just how human nature is. And yeah, people too, especially like depending upon if you, like you said, that joke being off color, like, you know, like you have to, I feel like there's a big part of establishing this relationship with the audience and being like, okay, guys, do you trust me? How much are you going to trust me? And what can we, where can we go together based on that trust? But it's also, you have to believe in yourself, like confidence plays out so much in how the audience is going to receive you. Well, the Steve Martin lessons, one of the things he taught was you're killing. That's what you got to think in your mind. You tell a joke and it doesn't work. You just have to pretend that it did work because you knew it worked the night before and it's going to work tomorrow. You just have to pretend it's working and keep moving forward. Right. Because if they see you're like, oh, that didn't work. You start to bomb. You start to have a bad set. So I just forged through it. And another thing, that joke at Tierney's was like a racist joke. I never tell them anymore. I just, it was very lightly racist. All the racists say that. So I just dropped all that material. I don't do anything that has anything to do with that anymore because people aren't receptive and you can understand why. Do you ever find yourself panicking ever and doing old stuff like that you don't want to do? Yeah. Like, and then you're yeah. like, oh, why did I do that? Like, you know what I mean? Like sometimes like, cause like we were talking about like how, you know, like Steve Martin says like, oh, well, you're always killing. Like, I know I'm not there yet. Like I perseverate if I see someone and they are like, I just fix it on that person. I'm like, oh, and it's like, I get in my head and then I create this narrative and it's like, it, I tank myself. Yeah. So it's like thinking about 
for you? Like, what, what about you? Like, how, how do you respond well, to like those mushy faces? Okay. So on Monday night, uh, we were at Dingo's, you know, it was Aaron Wahlberg was hosting, not Anthony Quinn this time. And I got up there and I was too loud on the mic. I could just tell it was too loud and people were a little standoffish. So I told joke one, joke two, joke three, you know, and I got some laughs or whatever, but I wasn't getting the response I was looking. So I said, what's going on, guys? I'm too loud. And then I pulled out a joke about being loud that I know is a A joke. And I did do it in the middle of an open mic just to get them laughing. I have bailed on routines and gone with safe stuff when you feel like you got to dig yourself out of a hole, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Like sometimes I don't think, see, I don't know if I do that. I don't think I dig myself out of a hole. I think I dig myself into more of a hole. Like, especially like for, I don't know, like I said, for me, comedy is very anxiety provoking. Um, My friends that know me know that when I'm anxious, I tend to have less of a filter. So it's like, Oh, this, like, it's just, it's a terrible combination all around. So I find myself panicking and I'll do things like, again, like jokes that I don't want to do, or I don't really like anymore, but it's just like, it was like a panicky kind of thing. So, but I, I, I've seen you um, on the stage, and sometimes you start getting crazy. And I think that's going on in your head, you know, like oh, you're going yeah. over the top. Yeah. Yeah. But I've seen you handle it so. Okay. One time you talked about quarantining and being alone, mm. and you talked about something like, uh, you were talking with some audience member and they were relating with you and you said something weird. Like, do you ever dress up your cats and line them up? And And she goes, no. And you go, yeah, me neither. You're really good. I don't know if the crowd knows who watches your podcast. You are a hilarious stand-up. I think you're already aware. Oh, thank you so much, Carl. You're so nice. That's so kind of you to say, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you being a guest today because I, I mean, I, it's nice to hear that, um, that, like, I like the compliment to be hilarious. It's so kind. But for me, I love comedy because I feel like there's so much to gain from it besides that. Like, it's like, especially because I am a neurotic person. I am, you know, like, there's there's an element of truth to that, I guess. So it's kind of freeing to be able to be like, all right, well, let me lean into this because then you let shit go and make space for other shit. And that's, that's a fun way to be, you know, I like, I like having that. So. I also want to compliment you on comedy fight club. When you went against Quinn, that was very entertaining. <laughs> then I had to be in front of my buddy, Anthony Quinn going, oh, you were fine, Anthony. It was like, really. Uh-huh. I watched it because oh my god it was so i love I, I appreciate that anthony it was so fun i love roast battles i actually was just talking with someone today because we're talking about the Chappelle special i haven't watched it yet but i heard there's a lot of hullabaloo around it but we were talking about how roast battles i love them because i feel it's the last frontier of truly authentic comedy because you're you're going for the jokes you know what I mean? And it's like, people need to laugh at themselves first. And if you can mm-hmm. laugh at yourself, then everything else is just going to kind of roll off your back. But I know, like you said, you haven't, you have not roasted, right? You have not done a roast battle. No, I won't do it. No, it's just not in me. Yeah. I don't want to make fun of you. And I certainly don't want to be made fun of. 
So it's not for me. I'm just too not. I'm not too nice, but I mean, no, I just no, it's just not a place I want to go in comedy. Tell Anthony, you know, I want to compliment people. Can yeah. we do a compliment battle? That doesn't work. I know. No, you can't. No, that's what is it? A toast? I toast you toast instead. instead yeah. Of a roast. Yeah. Well, I just I enjoy watching Comedy Fight Club. Those are good guys. Uh, they filled the room at Scotty's, you know, and that's the point. And um, they put on a great show. I love being. I love when other people are engaged in the roasting. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to do it myself. I, it's, it's hard, like I said, like for me, but it, like, again, it goes back to that. What I was saying with comedy, like there's so many other things with comedy. Um, just because like, especially too with roast battles, you don't know, like they're going to make fun of you. So you preemptively, it's like all the insecurities that you have in your life, you're like, all right, I'm putting myself out there to, for this no. to be become a farce. But no. I feel like, again, it's that ultimate freeing feeling. And I don't know, again, because I never like to assume anyone's experiences. But like for me as a woman, it was really hard to do comedy because I didn't feel comfortable with this idea of my body being critiqued, you know? And that was something that took me a long time to get over. So now I feel... Huh? Who would critique your body? You mean just being just standing being on, on stage? stage. Just, just that physicality of it. Just the fact that, hey, I'm on stage. Uh-huh. And it's like, that's just, you know what I mean? Like, again, it's just, it could be, again, like the conditioning of, you know, and I think that's why women are good at roast battling. Like, that's why Aaron's good. Because being a teenage girl, you know, we're, we're horrible. We're to each other, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, you have all that stuff already conditioned in your head, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> So it feels it feels cool like now to be like, oh, who gives a fuck? Talk about whatever you want. My bat wings, I don't care. <laughs> whatever, you know. So <laughs> but what did you did you watch the Chappelle special or no? I started watching it and then yeah. life happened. I maybe I'm about 15 minutes in. Oh, okay. is, I yeah. just started it now. I think it's it takes place in Detroit because he was talking shit about Detroit for years. So we thought he would do his special there. And um, it's him. He looks a little older. He looks a little heavier. It's him, you yeah. know. And I was laughing. I- I'll be back to it. You know, it's yeah. Netflix will remind me. Continue watching for Carl. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet, but I did hear because, you know, and that's part of like this whole idea of what I want to talk about with you today on the podcast because, you know, like you said yourself, you did a joke that you don't normally do. It was like off color, you know, um, and it's like thinking about how doing comedy, you know what I mean? If you're going to talk about everything, the reality is all of these things truthfully exist, right? So it's like, at what point do we allow people to say things with their, because, you know, again, a lot of people I'm hearing are calling for the Chappelle special to be removed, I yeah. haven't li- listened to it yet, so I don't know. Like again, but at, right now, just on the basis of him speaking, is his speech worthy enough to be removed? And how do you think that's going to impact comedy? Well, there was a time, uh, most most all of the history of comedy, that people couldn't say things. You know, they would, it was just a time of, like, let's go say the 90s, right? A CEO couldn't get up and say something off color, but a comedian always could. They were always the one group that got a pass to say 
outrageous stuff, you know. Um, I remember there was that book. What's it? Somebody has two mommies. Do you remember that? That book, um, it was in the 90s, like uh, Heather has two mommies or something like that. And was mm-hmm. trying to open the door to these alternative lifestyles, you know, before it became 2020, 2021. And right, right, right. Yeah. And and anybody who would talk about it, a talk show host or, uh, uh, you know, uh, a politician, they would get in trouble. But a comedian could just get on stage and talk about Heather has two mommies and it was no problem. Everyone's laughing. They just forgave it. That's gone away now. Now people, this whole thing about getting canceled is important when it's an employer who says, I'm firing you because everybody else is making a big deal on social media about something. You know, someone could say something that was 15 years ago, 20 years ago, but there's a clip of it. And so they play it and yeah. then they're, they're canceled. They're, they're fired and yeah. they can't get work. You know, I think it's very, very damaging. Yeah. Um, it used to be, if you don't like it, change the channel. I never subscribed to that either, but this is too far now. No people getting canceled. I don't think Dave Chappelle could get canceled, but I'm the wrong guy to ask. I'll always tell you that. It used to be like a Supreme Court justice would say, I might hate what you're saying, but I will fight to the death for your right to say it. Right. Because we have this freedom of speech. Now, of course, that's a freedom of, uh, from the government stopping you. But the concept was you should be able as an American to say what you what's on your mind, speak your mind, right. even if I don't like it. That's gone away now. I want to see, though, too, part of me wonders, because um, I agree with you that part of it's gone away. But I'm also curious as well, because I kind of felt Dave did this with his last special. There was a little punching down. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I feel like as a comedian, right, to write sometimes like you can write a good joke and punch up and you don't have to punch down. And I felt there was a twinge of that. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, okay, what are you, what are you doing here? Like, you know, a a little bit of that in the last one, you know, Uh I think, again, I think part of that could have been coming from me being jaded as a woman. Like once I started doing comedy, I was like, I've become much more critical, like, Uh you know, um, but what about for you? So let's talk about vulnerability. What is it worth getting canceled for? What is it worth getting canceled for? Like if Dave Chappelle says stuff that like hurts feelings, does that mean he should be canceled? You know, Maybe that, I mean, you're just not- saying it so simplistically. No, of course not. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like hurt feelings, right? Are just hurt feelings. And that's where it's like, that's why again, going back to me, I love roast battles because it's like, I, you feel secure within oneself. That's the only place where security exists is your uh-huh. own self-worth. And once you have that, then all the other shit doesn't matter. So to uh-huh. me, I feel like these people who are very triggered with hurt feelings, it's like, well, what's going on internally? Why are you allowing this person to have so much power over you? And uh-huh. it's like, I mean, but then also too, I look on the flip side because then being part of the dominant culture versus the like non-dominant culture, like, you know, it's like, well, why do we always have to be the button? Because there's so many complexities. Like it's very like, I feel it's so nuanced, you know, and it's especially too, as you think about like, for example, fat jokes, fat jokes are just, there's no shame at all. Nobody's like, you haven't right. heard about that's permitted. 
Yeah. So it's like and a making little- fun of like uh, white women with um, uh, pumpkin spice. Like that's okay. Making right. fun of Italians is okay. Making fun of Irish people seems to be okay. There's a few that are still okay. I don't know. I think that yeah. remember that there was a time. I, I know you're you're uh, you have a you've been alive, right? Yeah, I know. I, I, that's the thing. Like exactly. Like I'm not young. Like we. I know I grew up, you know, watching like all in the family and you know what I mean? The golden girls and all of these different, like. Well, there was a time in which it was the people on the right who would stand in a pulpit and say, you can't be gay. And if you're gay, I mean, they didn't say canceled, but essentially you'd be canceled. You know, you had to salute the flag and support our troops. And it was the people on the right who had like, they thought that they had a moral authority and they would stand up there and tell everyone how they had to think and how they had to behave. Mm -hmm. And the people on the left hated that and felt very oppressed by that Mm -hmm. and said, you have to be tolerant and allow me, you know, but now today, and these young kids don't know it because they weren't there for that. Right. It's flipped. Now it's the left who say, you must be inclusive. You have to say Asian American and not Oriental. You have to uh, allow, uh, you can't say anything against gay marriage. I, I don't, I, I'm for gay marriage. I don't want to make it seem like it. I'm, I'm a lefty, Okay. But I'm just saying it's a different, uh, strange position that the people on the left now are telling us how we have to think and behave and feel and mm-hmm. act when that used to be on the right. It's it's gone too far the other well, way. I also kind of think to the um, element of social media, because I don't feel like because it becomes such a mob mentality so quickly. Whereas you have to, the bottom line is people are, you're going to interact with all types of people and, you know, people are complicated. Like people you might dearly love have qualities that you can't stand because that's the reality of humanity. So it's like, you're going to have to navigate that. So it's like to, to just broadly brush this identity over people because of one moment in their space and time and then everybody to get on board is like that's not psychologically healthy yeah for us collectively you know it's like you gotta put people in context and it's like you know like especially too like I know like for me like I feel like doing comedy because again being a little older not growing up with all of this like idea like I you know used words that we can't use anymore and it was like like having to I get really nervous like writing comedy sometimes because it's like I'm always thinking now like oh is this too much or what about yeah. you do you do you feel that way Yeah, I mean, I've had, um, okay, I'm just going to tell you the joke that got me in trouble, okay? So, um, (laughs) in my act, I'm always pretending I'm oblivious, you know, like I don't get it. Like I make some statement and it's crazy, it's outrageous, but I'm pretending like it makes sense. So, um, that was the vein in which I wrote this joke. So, remember, it's after, okay, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can you edit this out? What? So what happened was I tell this joke. Now, remember, it's like deep into my set, like minute eight or something. 
on the eighth minute is when I'm uh, like landing this joke. So you already know me and you know that I'm acting oblivious. Like I don't get it. I'm, you know, I'm, so I say, um, my kids think I'm such a racist, you know, just because I can identify the spicks and kikes in a crowd. <laughs> now I led with that instead of doing it in it and then i go on to say like i blame the schools like i'm a stupid right headed right you know republican minded you know the schools make them do like that so what i'm trying to say is i don't say any jokes like that anymore even if i'm like i'm just kidding guys it's it's there's too much cancel culture i've dropped every joke and even if it's just a stupid pun, I used to um, I used to ask people if they had a mail server at work and they'd say yes. And I would ask, is he black? See, it's just a misunderstanding. Maybe you want to edit this stuff out. See how bad our cancel culture is? I'm scared now. No, we're not going to edit it. I think uh, that's because, again, it's like, like, again, huh? I've dropped it all. I don't say. I love that you've dropped it all. I appreciate that you're willing again, because it's like that to me is the crux of the podcast. It's like this stuff is uncomfortable, you know, it's like, but I, you know what I mean? You're joking. Like these are not, you're not taking this information and utilizing it, you know? And the bottom line is it's like, if someone, here's the thing too, I think it's important. If someone's triggered, right? This is a great place for discourse. We have to feel triggered in our lives because that's where we start questioning things and solidifying our truths, you know? So it's like, if you say something that's triggering to someone, that means it's their their responsibility. Okay, let's figure this out, you know? And like you even said, you don't say those jokes anymore. So No, I don't. See, the whole thing about that joke, first of all, I, I don't believe in that, you know, that's just not my mentality. So I'm pretending I'm being a dummy. Like, what are they talking about? You know, Uh I don't get it. Of course, that guy saying that is a racist, if that's what he's saying, you know. So um, it doesn't matter that I'm just joking. I, you know, I'm not racist. I, I was pretending to be a dummy who is racist, thinking he's not. Like, I just... I just walked away from it because it's not worth explaining. If people get too triggered by it, uh-huh. first of all, I mean, second of all, if they're not laughing, why do the joke? Right, I was right, right. that joke because I was always getting a laugh from that joke. That's how it became in the A-list bucket was doing it and having people laugh at it, you know? So now I just walk away in case one person doesn't like it. I just don't want the trouble. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I want to be funny. And if they're going to get triggered, I best stay away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, just, I feel like that though, I think is the importance of, you know, why cancel culture could be dangerous because like you yourself evolved through these experiences, right? You said, all right, this is what happened. People were triggered. I'm not doing it. It's not worth it. You know, right. it's like the whole act that you were trying to portray, you're like, it wasn't worth your time and energy and you move on. And I think that's, you know, kind of the same thing with Chappelle, like, He's doing his stuff like 
You know what I mean? And if people still like it, then that means like the reality is like, that's just kind of where we're at, but people can express their discontent as well. I think that's fair. I just, I wish we could have a different terminology than cancel culture. I just feel like, you know, collectively, it just worries me. Like, again, because we're all going to fuck up. We all fuck up. And like I said, myself, doing comedy, having a microphone in my hand and being an anxious person with no filter. I'm like, ah, I want, I want to stay employed in life. I don't want to be canceled. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. uh, Do you remember that guy who played Kramer had a racist incident on stage, right? Yes. And, And it was very interesting. Chappelle does this routine about it. Oh, he was like, he was like, I was watching that. And of course I was repulsed, but the stand-up comedian came out me. He said, oh shit, Kramer's having a bad set. Hang in there, Kramer. You'll get him next time, buddy. <laughs> you know, so even Chappelle, like, you know, with the, it was very racist. Have you seen the clip ever? I, I know awesome. he used the N word. I know that he, you know what I mean? I didn't, like, I vaguely remember it. It's been a while from the, since I watched it. Yeah. He really- was getting- so I just think that it's uh, even Chappelle, uh, you know, um, who is uh, very conscious of African-American issues, if I can say it that way. Uh, even he was like defending the comedian, you know, for I although think- it was different. He was he did mean what he was saying. He was talking to a heckler and it wasn't part of his jokes and routine, Kramer. So uh, yeah, it was. was bad but it really blew his top on and especially after doing comedy i don't know i find it so hilarious to watch how some com- comedians respond to hecklers mm-hmm, you know yeah. i definitely think yeah, he he kind of needed to relax a little bit be like honey it ain't that serious okay calm down boo-boo, <laughs> you know like you there still got money in your pocket you're fine <laughs> oh. carl so i want to ask you about yeah. vulnerability though. So what about vulnerability? What does that okay. word mean to you? Uh, vulnerability is about um, being uh, afraid and letting everybody else see that you're afraid. You're uh, well, I mean, what is the context of vulnerability when you sometimes when you're vulnerable, it's like um, a good thing. Like if you're in a relationship, you need to expose yourself and be vulnerable so that you can talk about real things. But I think you mean it in the context of being on stage, right? Or no, all of the above is whatever you want it to be. And all of those, because again, it all filters out. Vulnerability is when you have a, your own fear and you, uh, like, okay. Like for instance, I'm short. I'm five foot six and I have a good friend, Sonny, who lives in California now. He introduced me to my wife. He's also five foot six. Sonny is always thinking about how short he is. It never crosses my mind. I never think about how short I am, you know? He's vulnerable. So a vulnerability isn't me being short. A vulnerability would be if I was sensitive about being short. Don't, Don't talk about it. Don't expose it. That's a vulnerability to me. Yeah. It comes from inside what you're afraid of in yourself, what you're self-critical of. If people talk about, you know, you feel vulnerable when that's exposed. So what is your vulnerability? I am fat. 
Uh, for the record, I walk nowadays eight and a half miles a day, and I've lost 23 pounds since I started to this second, and I'm still going. So I'm trying to face that so that it isn't a vulnerability because I'm I am sensitive about that. Yeah. Another thing is people often think I'm gay. Uh, I'm not gay, you know, so I'm vulnerable about that. Like uh, I get up there and it just happened to me at Scotty's with Rob Falcone. Uh, I went up, I did my 10 minutes. I introduced him. He came up and he goes, Carl says he's married. Who believes that? Like, you know, I guess I just give off this gay vibe that isn't the reality. I I like chicks, <laughs> well, <laughs> frankly. So, uh, so I'm vulnerable about that. I'm vulnerable about my weight, mm-hmm. and and does I, that come out? Like I was going to ask, it does that come out in your comedy, or like does that yeah. affect how you perform? Well, unfortunately, I have to embrace that and address it. So I do say stuff like, um, like I'll say, um, I am a Jersey comedian who is not gay. But I am from Little Fairy. So what does that tell you? So like I do say jokes that go there so that it exposes it myself. You know what I mean? Yeah, like control uh, the narrative. Right. I will make jokes about my weight. Um, you know, you gotta okay. When I've done Scotty since since November, I don't know. It's been a long, it's been all the COVID time I've been hosting Scotty's, right? But on Saturday last was the only time I hated being on stage. I hated it. There was a a group of eight people. They were very drunk and I would tell my joke and then they went boom, boom, and they would cackle, laugh at each other. Like, you know, it's the rim, you know, that's the style of joke I tell those stupid rim shot jokes, you know, and me twirling the mic is kind of a, like a rim shot. Mm. Uh, so th- it just got old. But I mean, I had to pretend that I was with them. I was like, yeah, you gotta be stupid. You want to hang with me? Gonna be a lot of boops tonight, ladies and gentlemen. And they're all laughing. And if you watch the tape, you think I'm totally connecting with an audience. I'm with it. But no. Inside, I was like, shut up. Stop saying that. It's not funny. You said it eight times and his wife is cackling. And oh, my goodness. But anyway, you've got to on stage, if you're vulnerable about something, you've got to be the bigger person. You got to be an adult and just pretend and roll with it. Yeah. Or they're going to eat you alive. Yeah, they will. Those little jerks. <laughs> I would have started bombing had I been like, got, uh? I would have started bombing if I was like, all right, that's enough now. I know. Settle down. Settle down. It's not funny anymore. <laughs> that's them no. to eat me. Yes. No. But that's why, like, again, I do love things, situations like that. Because then it's like, if you can joke on them, you know what I mean? Be like, all right, idiot. You want to be part of the show? Let's make you part of the show. All right. <laughs> that's right. Um, I did this one joke about, um, uh, you know, I'm against same sex marriage because I've been married 20 years and it's the same sex. Right. And then that that cackling lady was like, yeah, it makes sense. You know, you'd have the same sex or something. So I got off stage and I said, who is the pretty young thing who's insulting my sexuality? And you should see her, man. She was not the I got her pretty good. You know, everyone turned to her and they were laughing. 
<laughs> good yes that's it like if you're gonna open up your mouth at the comedy show be like okay let's do this giddy up cowboy <laughs> so oh well carl i just want to say it's been wonderful chatting with you today i really appreciate your candid openness uh, you're willing to share your butthole clenching jokes. Oh, <laughs> like, what would Carl get canceled for? Now we know. Yeah, but now we know. He's a. He said he's changed. He's. I re- dropped the stuff. Redemption. <laughs> I don't want to get canceled, just yeah. like you. It's too severe. It's too severe. You say something and then you are fired. I know. It's like, give me a break. And especially too, it's like, I just want to do this for fun. Like, it's like, ugh. Now I have to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I feel like again, time's moving and changing so quickly. I'm just like, I don't even know what's funny anymore. (laughs) Well, you know, this time will pass. I mean, you know that from our life you know yeah. i mean someday it's going to 88 years from now and this cancel call, well i've moved on to something else yeah. something new, you know yeah this time is it, this is of the times and when people think about the 2020s this is going to be a part of it you know sure. i mean just, you hear someone singing with auto-tune that's going away you know what i mean like just like the beehive hairdo went out, cancel culture will have its time and its time will pass. So. Yeah. No, I think, I definitely think Yale will be a swing. And I kind of, you know, I feel like I see that with some of the like 21 year old young comics, you know what I mean? Like how like they're into really dark stuff, you know? And it's like, okay. I'm like, is it youth or is it their youth? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess mm-hmm. we'll have to wait and find out. Yeah. He continued. <laughs> so. <laughs> you in a decade. Can you do me a favor again and one more time tell everybody about your podcast and your website and okay. Uh, okay, so my website is carlsucks.com, which is, you know, I mean, you gotta write from what you know. <laughs> Carlsucks.com. And then the podcast is Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube, which is the initials, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Just put that in Apple Tunes and Spotify's and all that stuff. You'll find us. And look for Deanna Kobe in the coming up pilots, Life's Laugh Lessons. So excited. You're really good in that role. It was so fun to do. I appreciate uh, being part of it. Thank you so much, Carl. I can't wait. Like I said, I'm very excited. And again, you guys could see Carl. He's regularly at Scotty's. So any weekend, go down to Scotty's and you'll find. Very good. Well, I thank you so much for talking with us today, Carl. All right. Thanks, Deanna. Thank you.